The church in the United States is at an interesting crossroads. Surveys suggest that there are good things happening in churches across America, such as an increase in volunteerism, optimism among members and ministers, and a significant drop in church conflicts and intense dissensions. However, there are also still serious challenges for most churches in the U.S. Churches in America are at a very unique intersection between rising secularism amongst the culture, a decreasing interest in Christianity as a whole, and the falling away from church life of those who are nominal, disengaged Christians by name only. So what do the statistics and data tell us about some of the more concerning trends we're facing in the American church over the next few years? And what can we do as followers of Christ and members of Christ's body to rise to the occasion? Wonderful, chilly Tuesday. We're taking our lunch break to uh, sit down and hang out. I'm my buddy Gabe. Gabe, mm. how you doing, man? Doing great. This is actually my second lunch break for the day. Um, my boss just took me out to Waffle House for my first lunch break, so wow. I'm doing really good. Golly, big yeah. spender. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. Got some Waffle House in my belly. I'm ready to talk. Mm. I don't know ecclesiology yeah what, are you, what is he what do we call this yeah it's ecclesiology it's two episodes in a row where we're doing ecclesiology yeah so here's my lunch hmm. break and, and uh i'm on my lunch break but here's what i had for lunch today so uh a member of our church smoked chicken wings for folks mm. in the church uh this weekend <clears throat> amazing so anthony if you're mm. listening thank you you did a fantastic job we had a ton of leftovers um Right before we're about to hop on, I went downstairs, threw a bunch on a paper plate, nuked it, and then I didn't want to get my hands dirty, so I found some uh, some gloves. <laughs> so, like the serving gloves, you know, that people in the cafeteria wear, yeah. you know? I found them downstairs. Oh, wow. I guess some of our kitchen workers wear them. And uh, so I wore serving gloves to eat my chicken wings, and it was wonderful. I could just get in there and do everything yeah. I needed to do, and then I just took them off, and it was great. That's that's gotta be such a weird sensation though to like feel the warmth of the chicken meat <laughs> through the gloves and like, and those things are always like a little bit baggy. So were you like kind of biting the plastic I mean, when on the end of your fingertips? I thought it was gonna be a lot weirder than it actually was. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Hmm. Actually, halfway into it, I was like, I don't have to have any fear of getting like the sauce underneath my fingernails or anything weird like that, you know. Hmm. So mm-hmm. I just could get up in there and do what I needed to do, and it was it was amazing. So I think I may have invented See, like a new style of eating chicken wings. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I don't know, man. That's like one of the joys of eating chicken wings is like smelling the residue on your fingernails throughout the That's day. That's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually yeah. kind of hate that. So maybe that makes mm-hmm. me less of a man that I hate that. But yeah. Mm. Hey, you had an eventful weekend. Tell the folks about what you did this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I did. I don't remember. <laughs> I uh, went to a wedding, had Thanksgiving dinner with family, and went to Legoland with the boys down mm-hmm. in Winter Haven, Florida. I ran a marathon. Oh yeah, just uh, that, you know, just in the middle of everything. A lot of, a lot of stuff. Yeah, I ran my fastest marathon, four hours and twenty-one minutes. Dang! Which is, if you're if you're a runner listening to this, you know that that's actually really slow. <laughs> so, but it's fast for me. Well, it's faster than the one we did back in October. Y- yeah. You um. You did two marathons in, what would that be, seven weeks, six weeks? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that's impressive. Out great. But it's really not. I mean, it's just kind of like I'm already trained up for it. As long as you just, I don't know, keep that going, I guess. It's, it's just the training up to it, the mileage, you know, and just uh, that's the hard part. And yeah. once you're there, it's kind of like just the plateau. The... I did a... Mm-hmm. challenging for me so did you keep I did your, one 18 um, mile run the sunday before say that again because you but, cut out oh sorry i did an 18 mile run the sunday before oh wow i ran the full marathon wow and that was almost harder than the full marathon for some reason it just 
just had a bad day, but yeah, no. What were you going to ask though? I was going to ask, like, did you, I mean, you had to recover obviously from the one we hit, we, we went in October mm-hmm. it did. So did you take a week off running or did you get right back at it and train as soon as that was over? I don't remember. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm horrible at this whole thing. Like people have like log books and journals and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I have no idea when I feel good. I just get out and do it and figure it out. Yeah. You keep cutting out, so I'm not really sure what's going on with that, but oh, okay. I'll trust. I got to go feed this. I got to go feed the internet squirrels. Yeah, I'm going to turn your video off. That way we can actually hear hear each other without okay. cutting out. So, although I love looking at your beautiful face, but, uh, you know, mm-hmm. this is, mm-hmm. this is probably more important. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. How was your, how was your Thanksgiving? Man, it was really good. I smoked a turkey like a man and, yeah. uh, yeah, we just had a lot of fun with, with friends and family and it's really really relaxing and uneventful and yeah mm. it was really blessed man it was a really like Good. chill low-key but super rich and blessed thanksgiving so mm. i was very very fortunate to uh to have that so <clears throat> it's been good been getting out and doing a lot of deer hunting i got myself a uh nice eight point <laughs> buck uh about a week and a half ago, so I sent you sent you mm. a picture of that, telling you how manly I was. I did. Yes, you didn't respond. Yeah, but, um, you know, mm. it's okay. Yeah, I was just so intimidated by <laughs> by your your hunting skills. I didn't want to respond. Mm, that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have never shot a deer. I would love to shoot a deer, but I've never shot one. Well, man, come up here to Tennessee. They're they're everywhere. Yeah. The the problem up here is not um like will I see a deer to shoot? It's will I find a processor open to take my deer because there's so many people killing deer up here. Seriously. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Hmm. So the bag limit is two antlered per season and then three antlerless per day for the duration of the season. Hmm. So technically, <clears throat> you know, if the season out here is 90 days I could kill what is that how many 90 times 3 270 mm. doe if I wanted yeah. to goodness so, yeah America America Man, that like, that's a <laughs> lot of meat in the freezer that's just a ton of meat in the freezer if if you're an international listener right now you're probably shaking your mm. head but yeah they're like waffle house <laughs> 270 deer Smoking turkeys. They're like, Americans are just weird people. We are very weird. And yeah. yes, yes. Speaking of America, mm. um, this mm. is what we're talking about today, and that is the church in America. And what's going on just across the board? I found this article, and I sent it to Gabe not too long ago, and it's an article uh, by a guy by the name of... Aaron Earls, and the article is Five Current Challenges Facing U.S. Churches. And in it, he goes through some of the surveys and reports. Um, It was a study that was led by the Hartford Institute for Religion Research. And um, yeah, some of these trends I just thought were super, super, super interesting. And I thought really relevant for church leaders, but also just for people who are involved in a church, or attending a church, or just if you're curious to know like what Christianity is going to look like in the U.S. in the next few years. Because mm. I don't know about you, Gabe, but I mean, does it seem to you like Christianity really, really changed since like 2019 to now? Like in a four-year mm. period, mm. it just seems like things have changed drastically. Mm. Yeah, and it's hard exactly how to vocalize or articulate how it has changed. And maybe that's kind of the essence of it. It's just kind of all over the place um, and, and all different levels, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's really interesting because, like, um, <clears throat> you know, 2020, 2021, the pandemic was just a great disruptor. And mm-hmm. a lot of things in our culture changed as a whole. Um, but reflective of the cultural change is the change that has happened in our churches. Um, it just kind of shook everything up. It, it shook up a lot of um, people who were maybe nominal Christians by name only, uh, 
who were in a church just because mm-hmm. it was kind of convenient to go to church. And then when it was maybe not as convenient to go to church, they just stopped going. And the research shows that they just haven't been back, which is super interesting. Um, but yeah, I thought today we would just take a look at these. There's five of them and we'll take a look at them and then we'll ask the question, does that surprise you? And then uh, maybe talk about why we think it is and maybe what we can do to kind of navigate. So does that sound good? Mm, yeah, let's do it. All right. So <clears throat> trend and challenge number one, the research shows that more churches in America are in significant decline. So what we're finding out is there is a graphic on this uh, article I sent you. Um, only about 33% of churches in America are growing. Hmm. And 54% of churches are declining by at least 5%. Uh, There are 12% that are just kind of hanging out in the middle. They're stable. They're not growing or declining. But uh, Hmm. yeah, 54% of churches are declining. Hmm. And that's pretty concerning. Um, Southern Baptist churches are the fastest declining. Southern Baptist churches found 39% are declining more than 10%. I'm not exactly sure what that means. But yeah, so uh, just across the board, churches are declining. And I guess the Southern Baptists, they're they're getting hit hard, which if you've paid attention to what's been happening in uh, Southern Baptist Convention over the past few years, that that probably isn't that big of a surprise. But Gabe, does this surprise you, this, this trend that more churches are declining, they're not growing, they're actually shrinking? No, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, and I wonder, you look at the numbers of people, it kind of seems unrelated, but look at the number of people who are shifting from an in-person shopping experience on Black Friday, which we just had Black Friday as the Friday after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It's called such because it's the day of the year when so many people go out and start buying Christmas presents that it kind of changes the the economic outlook of businesses from being in the red or the negative to the black. Because so much money is spent in retail shopping. So look at the number of people who went out in person to brick and mortar stores on Black Friday versus now there's this new thing. It's been the last decade or so called Cyber Monday. Hmm. And there's been this kind of matriculation of people from going to this physical Black Friday experience to a brick and mortar store to Cyber Monday instead of that. Right, And we see Cyber Monday shopping growing. But I wonder if there's like this, I wonder if you could actually stack the numbers on top of each other and see if there's any kind of correlation uh, between the two and why people are doing that. I'm sure there's a lot of different parallels you could you could draw from that. Someone should do like a doctoral thesis on that or something. But hmm. no, it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, we're going to take a look here in a minute um, at, you know, online church and kind of how that's been a trend that is, you know, mm. a bit more complex and challenging than I think a lot of a lot of us are uh, admitting but I mean mm-hmm. <clears throat> I I don't think it surprises me because I think you just look at secularism across the board and you look at the rates of people who are kind of we did a whole episode or series of episodes on deconstruction a lot of people are kind of walking away I think like mm-hmm. I said earlier there's a lot of people that were Christians by name only just kind of nominal they were going to church because it was a thing to do and so I think that's part of it. But I also think that churches are, unfortunately, some churches, not all churches, but some churches are being less missional and evangelistic to the surrounding culture because they don't understand the culture or they don't want to engage mm. the culture. And their focus has become more on just in reach and kind of catering to the needs of the people within the church. Mm. And so we can't just... Um, rely on transfer growth like we have in the past where, you know, let's say a a family moves to your town and they're all Christians, but they came from another church like in, you know, Tupelo, Mississippi, and they moved into your town. And so they came into the door of your church. Hey, we used to go to a church over here. And now like those families are becoming less and less and less and less and less. Right. Hmm. Chances are if they relocate to your town, they weren't churched before. So they're looking for people to, evangelize and talk to them about Jesus and invite them to church. And we just don't know how to do that because in some places we haven't had to do that in the past. 
Mm -hmm. So I think that could be a lot of what's going on too. Yeah. 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 And I think that's what we're going to discover is that there's a lot of factors surrounding all these numbers and statistics. It's hard to like kind of pin it down to exactly one thing. And, and I don't think it is just one thing. It's a lot of different factors. Yeah. So how would you say like we could navigate this challenge within our church, like churches across the board are in decline. Um, hmm. how, how do you navigate that just as a pastor and as a member and uh, participant in the, the body of Christ? Yeah, I think it's got to be kind of multifaceted because um, <laughs> I always say, man, I wish we could just perform miracles like on the spot, on the fly, you know, like mm. just on demand. If we could just, if if one legitimate miracle could be performed just on demand, like, oh, here we go. Look, we got miracles happening here. But, you know, for some reason, God is not working like that. <laughs> it's just not, we pray for miracles. We we pray for healing, um, we pray for breakthroughs. And sometimes they, they are answered, mm -hmm. but... Um, if we could just raise one person from the dead, it'd be like, bam, yeah. <laughs> solve all our problems. But, you know, I think we have to look at it a very creative way and say, how do we um, put out an uncompromised version of the message of the gospel and, and allow it to reach ears, the ears of people who need to hear it and are searching for it? Mm. Um, because I think one of the biggest blessings and curses of the American culture is that we've been so inundated and saturated with, with cultural Christianity and the, and the gospel yeah. to some extent that people are kind of lulled into thinking that they don't need it because we live in this kind of gospel-created, biblical, uh, you know, worldview-created bubble. Um, so I think finding people who have, have, have been expelled from or are outside of that bubble and are actually living through um, hardship or living through desperation um, and reaching their ears with the message of the gospel. Because I think there is a direct correlation between physical hunger and spiritual hunger, physical desperation and spiritual desperation. Yeah. So finding populations and, and, and groups of people, demographics that are, that are experiencing those moments and those crises and lifting them out of both the spiritual and the physical to the best of our abilities important yeah yeah but yeah that's that's there's a multifaceted approach for sure yeah absolutely i think that um we have to focus on evangelism and mm -hmm. teaching our folks how to engage the culture and i think that starts mm -hmm. with everybody listening to this if you're a christian and you live in the u.s or maybe you you don't live in the u.s you live in another part of the world it's interesting friends of mine that live in Canada or Europe or Australia or other parts of the world where it's not popular to be a Christian, they've had to learn how to be evangelistic. Like if, mm. <laughs> if they want visitors at their church, they have to go ask, they have to go share Christ. They have to, you know what I mean? Like it just doesn't happen. Mm. People don't drive by and say, Oh wow, a church. Let's, let's try to figure out what's going on there. Um, so I think if if the church is going to be who Jesus has called us to be in the years to come, we have to get better at like meeting our neighbors, being willing to do life with people who may not look like us or think like us and know how to winsomely share our faith through sharing our lives uh, for the purpose of having those spiritual conversations. And then mm -hmm. once they do step into the doors of a church, our church has to be an environment where people feel seen, they feel known and they actually feel welcomed. And like, there can't be this mm -hmm. like insider code stuff to where they walk in and they go, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to, it doesn't feel like any of these people want me here. You know what I mean? So, um, right. We just got to get better at that, I think. And we haven't had to do that before, but I think we will have to do that in the years to come. Yeah. I was talking to someone over Thanksgiving. Um, uh, they actually brought up, uh, the the topic and everything i guess they were raised presbyterian mm. they attended presbyterian churches for years and years and they found it to be kind of um i don't know overly ritualistic and not deep in teaching and and um they opened up to me about it and they had recently discovered a non-denominational like evangelical church and this is an older couple um actually i think in their late 70s and they said this is totally not our style this is totally out of our comfort zone. The music is loud. It's lively. It's like a rock concert. But when the pastor gets up and teaches, he's just 
dressed like we are. He's sitting on let's like love seat and he has a table and he's drinking a cup of coffee and he just teaches like these really deep things that we've never heard taught before. And we grew up in Christianity all our lives. And I think there is this um, danger that we as leaders or pastors face that we tend to placate too much to um, making the word of God accessible. In the name of making the word of God accessible, we teach a very shallow version of it. But I think what we're we're doing is we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot and we need to be kind of doing both, um, but also making sure that people are experiencing and eating the meat of the word yeah. um, and being edified in that. And I think there is a great hunger and starvation happening within the church for that deep, deep substantive teaching. Yeah. Hey, do you know what the word of the year, you know, Merriam-Webster always releases the word of the year for the year, like in December. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what the word of the year was for 2023? No, no. Yeah, it was authentic. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah authentic. And and a lot of sociologists are trying to figure out why, and some of them think that with the rise in AI and chat GPT and mm-hmm. stuff like that, that more and more people are searching out something that's not mm. artificial, like something that's real, something that corresponds with reality because there's so much fake. Um, hmm. Yeah. And that. so like that's that's super good news for us as Christians because <laughs> we mm. have the most authentic truth there is, right? I mean, the truth of Jesus, mm-hmm. who he is. So uh, the call is for us to be authentic. And uh, that's really cool to know there's a culture that hungers for that. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Second trend, second challenge is aging leaders and congregations. I found this to be super, super interesting. The overall age of clergy continues to inch forward. A LifeWay research analysis found the average age of U.S. Protestant pastors has remained fairly stable over the past decade, moving from 53.6 years of age in 2013 to 53.84 years of age in 2023. But the Hartford Hmm. Institute research found a more consistent increase, climbing from 57 years of age in 2020 to 59 years of age in 2023. Hmm. So the average age of a pastor in the U.S. in a Protestant denomination, according to this research, is 59 years of age. Interesting. Not only is the pulpit growing, but so also are the pews. In 2020, 33% of congressional members, congressional, congregational. <laughs> hey, the con- <laughs> congressional members are getting older. That's another podcast yeah. topic for another time. Um, 33% of congregational members were over 65 years of old. That's now 36%. The aging is particularly evident within mainline Protestant churches. Nearly 50% of those within mainline Protestant churches are older than 65. Meanwhile, the percentage Hmm. of attendees at all religious services who are under 35 years of age was 37 in 2020, and it's 32% now in 2023. So there are more churchgoers who are older than age 65 than who are younger than age 35. Hmm. So does that surprise you? A little bit, yeah. Why is that? Yeah. I don't know. Just uh, I, I guess I see a lot of younger pastors. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's just the ones I think that are maybe more engaged in social media or YouTube and, and make themselves more visible. Mm-hmm. And the ones that aren't engaged in that are maybe the older generation. So maybe they're kind of more the vocal minority in that case. Yeah. Well, I mean, both you and I are younger pastors, so we're both not 40 mm-hmm. yet. So the world in the orbit that you and I kind of live in is probably different than most pastors yeah, across the board. getting mighty close. <laughs> hey, man, look at this gray. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I wish I could say this surprised me, but it didn't really surprise me. Um and I think the reason it didn't surprise me is because I think the younger generations, <clears throat> that's the millennials who are age 27 to 42, and mm-hmm. the Gen Z generation who are age 11 to 26, I don't really think that most churches, and again, I'm 
I'm saying most, I'm not saying all, I'm just saying most. I think some churches are doing a great job at this, but I, I think across the board, most churches aren't engaging those generations, mm-hmm. evangelizing those generations, discipling those generations, and releasing those generations for ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think the older generations are either, number one, they just don't know what to do with the younger ones. So they're like either scared of the younger generation, they're confused by the younger generation or they're too judgmental of the younger generation to figure out what to do and how to reach them. Mm. Mm. Or I, I don't think they trust the younger generation enough to empower them to do ministry, to go out and reach their peers. Mm. So I know that's a super broad brush joke, but I think that's, those are probably some dynamics of it. I think you've got some like generational gaps there with, one generation not quite sure what to do with the the younger ones. And it could be too that the younger generation just doesn't want to do what we do. Yeah, that's true. That you know, they just have no interest in it. Hmm. But yeah, it's you know, every person's different. It's hard to really pin it on one thing, but yeah, it's like building houses, it's like we can't find non-immigrant tradespeople to to do the components of, of building a house and do it at a price that, you know, we're willing to pay. We have to hire immigrants to do it, to be able to do it within our budget to build a house. And it's like, there's just in the United States of America, there's no, there's no, uh, multi-generational Americans who have a desire to want to do any sort of thing related to the trades. Hmm. Um, it's just a kind of this, famine of of interest i guess a lot of it has to do with like uh just the 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 negative perception that comes along with working in the trades is maybe sometimes we think that's kind of like uh for dumb people that didn't go to college or whatever so it could be that there's this negative perception with going into the ministry that um you know that's for people who are more knowledgeable than them or more holy than them or um maybe some of the scandals that are broken uh yeah. financial sexual scandals that are broken that kind of don't want to be associated with that i don't know yeah I, I don't know either i mean i think honestly like um the younger generation I, I think what's hard is like there's always been this trend and it's not it's not like a modern thing you you see this somebody showed me an article from a hundred years ago about an older generation criticizing the younger saying we've never seen a more selfish generation ever. And this was like in the early 1900s. (laughs) And then there was also an article of, um, the greatest generation. So those who like fought in world war two and grew up in the great depression, criticizing the baby boomers as being the most entitled, Mm -hmm. spoiled, rotten, materialistic generation ever. So, um, every generation, thinks that the generations coming after them are the most spoiled, entitled, incompetent, lazy. I mean, it's just like, if you study just how generations interact with one another, that's always been a thing, right? Mm -hmm. But I think within that, there's like this great responsibility that older generations have to equip, to disciple, to engage, and to evangelize. And uh, Hmm. I just... And and if you're you're of the older generation, I'm I'm just gonna like lovingly say this. I just feel like baby boomers as a whole. I'm not saying everybody. I'm just saying as a whole, what I've noticed are far too cynical and judgmental, and scornful of the younger generations to try to try to engage them. Hmm. And so I think you yeah. got a whole generation dying out, and we're in kind of a succession crisis as a. Uh, as a movement, like there's, there's pastors who are retiring and there's nobody to take their place. Hmm. So yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one to try to figure out what's the answer for that. But, uh, what, what do you, what do you think? How would we navigate this challenge in the next few years within our churches? If we're going to continue to be who Jesus has called us to be. That's really, really tough. Uh, just being, like you mentioned, engaging that younger generation as much as possible, getting them to take ownership of different components of our corporate worship, um, of of looking for young people who are gifted and called to be in ministry and to encourage them in that, 
uh, yeah, it's it's really tough um, being adaptable as a as a church or congregation and and how you worship, how you um, you know being flexible in that. Uh, it's that's tough as well hmm. um, because sometimes people just don't. We hate change, you know. So yeah, yeah. I, I think um, we've got to figure out how to like be good missionaries and learn how the young younger generations think and what makes them tick and mm-hmm. like what's valuable to them. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, looking at the younger generations and just going, well, none of them want anything good. I mean, that's like me looking at the entire nation of Bangladesh and just saying, God, send them all to hell. We don't need to send missionaries to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. any, any, yeah. you know, missionary worth their salt would, gasp in horror if someone displayed that kind of attitude but i feel like sometimes we display as older generations that attitude towards entire generations that are younger than us and we don't blink an eye at that and that's concerning to me um yeah i I think i think millennials and gen z's are some of the most uh justice and compassion oriented um people in america right mm -hmm. now yeah there a lot of that is misappropriated and misdirected To different things or different subcultures, but they value uh, compassion. I mentioned justice, uh, equity, and those are very f- deep, biblically ingrained concepts. Yeah. But like I said, a lot of it is just it's just misappropriated. Sure. So if you could kind of touch on that and kind of draw that out of people and, and reappropriate and redirect it to uh, truth in a, in a true way, I think I think that's a that's a really um, invaluable tool. To yeah, have. and and I think the younger generation is attracted to authenticity too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Asbury revivals earlier this year, if you're familiar with what happened at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky, mm-hmm. like um, part of what made that so amazing is that was Gen, that was Gen Z, right? Those are all college students, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like flashy preachers or big name worship bands or anything like that. It was literally a student led mm-hmm. acoustic worship set and prayer that went on for several weeks without stopping. Mm. And like what made it so amazing is that it was just so authentic and it was so real and it was so pure. And it seems to me like that's what this younger generation is craving. They're, they're, they're kind of done with like the, flashy superficial you know oh praise the lord brother and he's in his you know four thousand dollar suit you know asking somebody to give like i, I think the younger generation just they've, they've had their fill of that and they're just kind of done with that you mm-hmm. know what i mean yeah so i, I think we got to figure out like what is it that's valuable to this younger generation and like a good missionary say let's bring the gospel to those spaces um and so with, within churches i think we've got to figure out how to make ministries more intergenerational so not making it yeah. into just kids' church, right? But making it intergenerational, right. that it would it would speak to the needs of anyone that's sitting there, whether they're 14 years old or whether they're 89 years old, right? Hmm. Um, because here's the thing. It, it can become really easy to simply cater to the needs and desires and wants of the baby, baby boomer generation because they are by far the largest generation among our population of Americans today. I, I was studying this. Uh, some sociologists actually break up the baby boomer generation into two different um, eras because there's so many of them. Because the baby boomer generation is technically anyone from 59 to 77 years of age. Hmm. So they're the largest generation. They're the wealthiest generation. So they have more capital than any other generation amongst the population of America today. And they're by far the most engaged generation in things like voting, uh, church giving, church life, community engagement. So if your number one tithers are baby boomers, it would make sense why all of your ministries are <laughs> catered around what the baby boomers want, right? Right. So I think we got to be aware of that and cognizant of that. Hmm. Uh, number three. Trend and challenge number three, less desire to change. So this is interesting. Hmm. In the spring of 2020, 
almost three out of four churches agreed they were willing to change. And during 2021, nine out of 10 congregations said they're willing to change. But now that number has dropped by about, what is that, nine percentage points? So only 66% said they're not willing to change. (laughs) Interesting. That's super interesting. And honestly, this surprised me. I I thought Mm. American churches would be like, man, we've had to change so much for the past 20, 30 years that, yeah, we're willing to. But apparently now uh, close to 34% said, no, we're not not willing to change. What do you think about this? What What do you think, like, is changing? That they're less like just like the corporate worship experience or theology or doctrine. What do you think they're? <sighs> That's an interesting question. Um, like what is? It's kind of ambiguous. Yeah, like I, I think the question was more methodology mm-hmm. that the Hartford Institute uh, asked. Like, are you willing to okay. change methodology? But I wonder if, in the minds of some, they're thinking, mm-hmm. I don't. I, no, change means compromise of truth, and I'm not going to compromise any truth. Yeah, yeah, because that word change is packaged in there can be so much. And right. I wonder too if a lot of people um, see a rapidly changing world around them, and so Christians see their church and their worship experience and the culture within that church as kind of the bulwark of their culture, cultural identity, and and political ideology hmm. and doctrine. You know, and like everything else around me is changing, but I can't let this change. Right. It's kind of like the one thing that we have to hold on to that is is stable, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the thought process. I don't know. And that's the thing is like I, I don't know that I don't know that like your success as a church and the number of people who attend um should hinge completely on whether or not you're willing to change. I don't know that change is always the answer. Yeah. Um well statistically because you know sometimes we go down this slippery slope. Yeah, but, statistically you know. I think it's in here somewhere uh, somewhere in the research that churches who express a lower willingness to change, um, usually that is correlated with a decrease in worship mm. attendance. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, that is pretty packaged, uh, together. I mean, there's a lot that would go into what does change mean? Right. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe what you were saying is true. Maybe there, there was so much change that, happened just across the board in 2020 and 2021 that people are just kind of craving stability right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, I think navigating this challenge means to like take an honest assessment though, of things happening within a particular congregation and say, Hey, not all change is bad. Like, yeah, change just for the mm-hmm. sake of change or change for the sake of compromising in truth. That's, that's not good. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if like everybody in our congregation is over the age of 65 and we don't have any young families and it's because we're not doing anything to reach these guys, to disciple these guys, yeah. to evangelize these guys, we, we probably need to figure that out. We probably need to make some changes to actually be obedient to the commission of Jesus to make disciples of all nations. And if we're not doing that, and the only reason we're not doing that is because we just don't want to change because that's uncomfortable and inconvenient, then we're sinning and that's not good, right? Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to change just for the sake of changing because it's, it's like that can be a very slippery slope. I remember in the 2008 elections when Obama was running for president against um, John McCain, mm-hmm. Obama's thing, his his one word kind of mantra was change. Yeah. And I remember there was this one guy, this political pundit was going around interviewing people that were Obama supporters and saying, what's one change that you that you want to see that Obama is, is, is uh, proposing? And they couldn't answer the question. Right, like, right. What, what do you want to see changed? They couldn't answer the question. It's like, well, we like that word change right. because we like a change in scenery or we like things that are different sometimes. But we have to, I think, change within our, our assemblies and our churches needs to be slow, methodical, thought out, and biblical. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's important that we do change because um, it, it is, <laughs> if we don't, like you said, um, we'll find ourselves reaching no one. Right. Um, but to change for the sake of change, I think is that's a that's a dangerous mindset to kind of slip well, into. Well, and change for the sake of trying to fit into the culture that surrounds us. You know what I mean? So, like mm-hmm. the big uh, situation with the United Methodist Church here in the U.S. is 
Mm-hmm. There's a mm-hmm. schism going on in the United Methodist uh, Church related to the ordaining of homosexual clergy. And so you've got this big mm-hmm. schism going on, you know, and a lot of people saying, man, we need to be on the right side of history. It's 2023. Come on, guys. Like, we really, you know, we're, we're being homophobic. Like, we need to keep up with the current times. And then there's faithful believers that say, no, listen, like, the historic Christian faith has always held to the biblical sexual ethic. Like we can't change that because that's given to us in scripture. Right. Hmm. So just trying to change just to keep up with the changing culture, that's a bad thing. That's not good. But Hmm. being willing to adapt methodology to be good missionaries, I think is an entirely different thing. And we need to make sure we know the difference between those two things. So. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, trend and challenge number four. This is a super interesting one. Uh, navigating changing worship experiences. So this is all about um, like statistics and data surrounding. Do you have virtual church or is in person church? Do you stream your services? Do you don't stream your services? And here's like a fascinating statistic in 2019. Only 20% of American churches were streaming their services online. Hmm. And now in 2023, 73% of churches are streaming their services online. That's three out of four. (laughs) Hmm. But the data also shows that apparently it's much better to focus on one platform than the other. So it's better to have like, um, your focus either being entirely on virtual or either being entirely in person. Uh, But here's what's interesting. The churches that had mostly in person, so that was kind of their number one priority is encouraging people to be in person worship, but they also had virtual available. So they also did live stream their services, but the most of the focus was on getting people in church overall across the board. uh, They had the highest in-person attendance average. That's pretty obvious. Hmm. They also had the highest number of people who were regularly attending. Um, those who inverted that, so they focused more on the virtual online experience than the in-person experience. Uh, they had a uh, higher virtual attendance, and then I guess they counted uh, people attending worship too. So kind of interesting, just hmm. just what, what you see there. Um, and then you have churches who just emphasized virtual. They had one of the lowest numbers of regular participants in their church. Hmm. So those who did mostly in-person worship, so they didn't do anything with their online presence, they have experienced an average 9% decline in worship service attendance. Wow. So to kind of just boil it down, it kind of seems like if it's just in-person declining numbers, just virtual declining numbers, a little bit of both. Apparently that's the sweet spot. Hmm. So that's super interesting to me. What do you think about that? Yeah, it is. Um, I don't know why. Uh, yeah, it's like, I could see like, if you're doing virtual people are like, well, (laughs) I'm not feeling good today. I'm just going to watch the virtual (laughs) sit on my couch. Right. Whereas if you didn't have that yeah, yeah. If you didn't have that, people would say like, well, yeah, I got a little bit of a sore throat or I didn't sleep well last night, but I'm still going to get up and drag myself into church and worship with other people. Right. But yeah, why there's this sweet spot of like having, if you offer both, that's, that's But you really guys, you guys stream your services online. Is that right? We do. And we do a really bad job of it, but um, we just <laughs> literally have an... I-, <laughs> I think you do a good job. I've watched some. We just, good. we just have an iPhone set up on a tripod and that's, that's it. I mean, that's literally it. And yeah, it's it does it doesn't seem to have affected our in person attendance. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, our in person attendance seems to be growing, yep. while our online audience is kind of doing the same, but maybe at a slower yep. rate. Same for us. I don't really go on and check check a lot, but same for um, us. But I, I'm not I'm not I don't engage online audience at all, and I don't think anybody really does. Um, there's a couple people that go on and they'll say, oh, you know, there's there's this number of people watching or something mm-hmm. like that, but it's never been a big focus, but it's something that we kind of offer um, 
for people that that live elsewhere. And I've always said, look, if you're watching this to the exclusion of going somewhere in yep. person, please yep. just turn this off and go yep. somewhere in person. It's, yeah, it's we so have important. a video in our YouTube uh, channel of me saying that basically, hey, listen, this is for if you're sick, mm-hmm. you're out of town, you've moved somewhere new, you don't have a church mm-hmm. yet. Um, or right. if it's a supplemental to your worship with your own home church, but this is not a substitute for being mm-hmm. a part of a local body of Christ. Um, that's good. Yeah. So here's kind of what I, I was just, I was reading this and kind of jotting some stuff down. I think what these numbers tell us is, um, for better, or for worse, just, it is what it is. We live in the age of the internet and most mm-hmm. people will go online and check something out for us before they, uh, something online first before they'll go there in person. Mm. So like if, Mm -hmm. if I go, like there was a steakhouse uh, that opened in in Murfreesboro and I was thinking about, okay, my birthday's coming up. And so last night I'm hopping on my phone, looking at their menu, right? Wow, this place looks good. I think I want to check this place out. And that's the way it is. I think with everything, we don't even realize we're doing it, but we do it. We want to check it out before mm-hmm. we go to it. And I think it's the same with church. Like if you're going to take your family there and you're going to trust your, the care of your children and the discipleship of your children, the spiritual development of your family, you want to go on their website and read their doctrinal statement. You want to watch some of the, uh, the minister preaching to make sure he's not crazy and going to say something off the wall. Right. Right. Um, and so I think like that probably has something to do with it, but I think you were talking about Black Friday and Cyber Monday. If you can go online and do everything you need to do online without going in person, why would you even go in person? You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I've noticed that as well. Like we'll get visitors sometimes to our services and I'll come and introduce myself to them and say, hey, how did you find out about us? Um, what, what's drawn you here? And they'll say, oh, I've actually been watching you for the past yep. couple months online. And it's like, oh, yep. wow. You know, okay. So. Yeah, that's kind of, if anything, it, it offers that kind of, it breaks down that that fear mm-hmm. factor. Uh, like you mentioned, people are more willing to come in person because yeah. of that. So it's interesting. So here's how I think we, we have to navigate this. Like um, I've, you know, talked to people that are just like, you know, we don't do internet stuff. That's not the body of Christ. Okay. I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think being in a church service with other believers, that is so important. Mm-hmm. But the context in which God has placed us, the day and age in which we exist, for better or for worse, we live in the age of the internet. So Mm -hmm. things like live streaming your services and having an online presence, I think we can think of that almost like the front porch of a house. So you're Mm -hmm. not actually in the house yet, but you can stand on the front porch and you can look inside and you see what it's like inside the house before you decide you're going to go in and visit. Right? But it's not the same as in-person church. It's there for folks who are traveling, who are sick, who are out of town, who are checking the church out first before they come in person. It's not a substitute for actual in-person church. And what's interesting is churches that treat live stream and online presence like that, like kind of the front porch or kind of the you know overflow room for people who are already in the church that just need to be able to tune in when they're not there. Those are the ones who it actually helps their growth. It doesn't hinder their growth. But mm. the churches who place so heavy of an emphasis on it, they're like, Hey, I want to, you know, engage the online church that actually is detrimental to their growth, <laughs> which is so interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. It's interesting. Wow. Anything else to say about that one? Online church? No. Do you, Does it, Okay, I'm going to say this. Maybe this is controversial if you're a pastor that's listening. Mm-hmm. Um, does it kind of bug you when you hear churches that count people who watch on live stream as part of their membership? Have you heard of churches doing that? Hmm. I haven't seen it a lot. I don't I don't really follow a lot of churches. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's I something know. I yeah, need it's to... Yeah, it's hard. It's like, does you count... Do you count... Yeah, you can check uh, no, your heart on that, Josh. No, do, yeah. it's, it's like... It's like the question: Do you do you count do you count a layover in a, Dubai as having visited Dubai? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, exactly. I don't you know. Weren't it's technically tough. there, you're yeah. in the airport, but I guess I mean, if you want to, yeah, you know, I don't know. I guess it just what is the de- what is the definition of assembling together, as the writer know. of Hebrews puts it, and is that is checking into an online service 
checking that box. Like we would say going to an online prayer meeting via Zoom. Yeah, yeah you attended yeah. a prayer meeting. But there's something about having to stand next to another fallen, broken human being and utter praises to your creator together that is unparalleled and cannot be replicated in an online environment. Yeah. Um, here's what's going to make this really tricky in the years ahead. The metaverse mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is going to change everything about how we work, how we are yeah. educated, how we have meetings, how we socialize. Like we talked about the metaverse a couple of years ago on this podcast. And honestly, a lot of people are like, what the heck are you talking about? I don't even understand what you mean by the metaverse. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's coming. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, this idea mm -hmm. that you can be somewhere without actually being there, you can be sitting at your house wearing a VR helmet and be somewhere. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, I think it's life, life point or is it life point church, life church, the big, uh, Craig Groeschel's church. They have all the video campuses. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. First church that has a metaverse campus. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it is. So you, you'll actually probably in the future be able to design a pastor whose skinny jeans actually <laughs> fit him correctly. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Yeah, you give him new shoes just, every just time crazy. he gets up to speak, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of pastors, last trend that is a bit concerning is exhausted pastors mm. exhausted pastors so the hartford institute uh report found pastors have grown more likely to consider leaving their specific congregation and ministry uh some have found that they're contemplating just leaving the ministry altogether on a more regular mm. basis so just two years ago 79% of church leaders said they never seriously considered leaving their congregation. 10% said it crossed their mind once or twice. 5% thought about it a few times. 3% fairly often. And 3% very often. But by 2023, that number had dropped from 79% to about 62% said they never thought about leaving. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, that's a significant, significant, significant drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so hmm. more and more pastors are basically thinking of throwing in the towel altogether and just being either done wow. with their church or being done with ministry. That doesn't surprise me because if you look at the complexity of people's lives, the amount of issues, um, the nature and, and theme of counseling, I mean, our lives have become so complex and dynamic because of technology, because of our busyness, because of all kinds of things at our disposal. Um, if you compare the, the role of a pastor today versus 200 years ago, mm. um, you just had a whole, a whole different set of problems and they were much fewer uh, in number, I would say, in terms of like variety. Yeah. So maybe I'm wrong in that, but I think, uh, I think things are just way more complex these days. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I, I think pastoral work is exhausting because I think mm -hmm. uh, the just the world today is a lot more. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're moving closer to the turn of Christ, and it's becoming more broken and just darker, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, can you imagine, like, 150 years ago, like Jedediah was <laughs> would come to you as a pastor and say, you know, I accidentally <laughs> lusted after my neighbor's ankles. Yeah. Elizabeth's ankles when I drove my my horse and carriage by her farm and peeked yeah, over the fence yeah. and and it's like now you got like Pornhub right, you know right, it's like right, right. dude yeah. there is just a whole other world of OnlyFans and all this other stuff yeah. it's like there is a whole other set of problems or it's like you know doctrinally speaking it's like 150 years ago you were just like you just went to you had a you had two choices the local right. Methodist or the local Baptist church in town and now it's like this world of this smorgasbord of teaching, like yep. everything from Greg Locke to Kenneth Copeland and everything right, right, in between. Right, right. And it's like all kinds of doctrinal stuff going on. Yeah, there. man. I, I think, um, you know, you talk about pastoral burnout and things like that. I mean, Paul, the apostle, would write about all of the hardships that he endured, you know, the fact that he was shipwrecked and beaten mm -hmm. and all these things. 
And then he also includes in that list, he says, along with the concern I have for all the churches, right? So Mm -hmm. that's a really loaded statement, the concern I have for the churches. Like being the one in some way responsible for the spiritual well-being of a group of people is, Mm. is to embrace a certain burden that I think unless you have stepped into that role, it's really hard to articulate just how big of a burden that is. Uh, to go into a restaurant, this happened to me recently, to go into a restaurant and there's somebody who's walked away from God and who's angry at God and they're sitting there eating their lunch and I'm with my kids and I walk up and just say, hey, how's it going, brother? And he just looks at me and says, I hate your God. And wow. it's in front of my kids, right? I got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old standing there. Goodness. You know, and so it's like, if I'm selling insurance, I may have some people that don't like me because maybe I, you know, they thought I ripped them off, but it's a little bit different, right? Right. And so I just think that in general, pastoral work is exhausting. And in general, our culture has become far, far, far more critical of pastors and spiritual leaders in the recent years than we've ever yeah. become before. We've become more distrusting. We've become more critical. Uh, we, mm. We've failed to respect those who are giving their lives uh, for pastoral work and we view them with a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of suspicion. Um, and sometimes, man, that's just exhausting for, for folks who are trying mm-hmm. to serve like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you got these complex issues and on top of that compound of this, the criticism yeah. and the, like you, like you mentioned, you're just constantly under the microscope and it's like you make one poor move or one bad move and your all your credibility can be shot because yeah. of that. It's a lot, a lot of pressure. So yeah, no wonder it's just an exhausting experience at times. Yeah, and I think you know it is exhausting. But I think sometimes, and I'm just reflecting on my own ministry. I'm, I can't speak for those who are, are pastors across the board, but I think sometimes I have brought seasons of burnout and exhaustion upon myself mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I have not asked for help. I did not. Mm-hmm delegate or mobilize others within my staff or within my Mm. church to help me in ministry. I didn't reach out to, you know, a counselor or a pastor myself and say, Hey, I'm struggling and I need, I need to sit down and talk to somebody. Right. And because I didn't do that, I kind of just set myself up for running on empty and running on fumes for far too long. And, um, so yeah, I think, I think that's possibly why we could be seeing that more so now than ever before. Yeah. So 100%. how do we navigate that? Any pastors that are listening or any people that are connected to a pastor, what would you say to protect your pastor or to protect yourself if you are a pastor from mm. growing so exhausted you just want to throw in the towel and don't even want to do it anymore? <laughs> well, if you're a congregant and under the shepherding of a pastor, just make good choices. Behave yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Knock it yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't be an idiot, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Use discernment. Yeah. But no, I think I think just having um I was actually just I was doing a QA at our congregation the other day. Um, and one of the questions was how do you avoid burnout in the position in which you're in? And one of them was just I get away. I, I go away yeah. sometimes. I take I take a month or I'm sorry, I take I take one week usually usually at least every other month, but usually ends up being like once a month. I, I go out of town with with Stacy and or just the boys. Yeah. Um, and let someone feel, I just leave, um, and, and let, let the congregation and services go on without me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it enables other people to step up and have to do things. It, other men who are called to teach and want to exercise that gift. Um, it just really benefits everybody involved. Um, but getting out and, and just kind of taking a sabbatical pause, um, and, and also just kind of like spending time remembering why you're doing what you're yeah. doing. And asking God to kind of renew that zeal within you um, and that desire uh, within you as well. Because you don't want to do it just because, yeah, this is what I'm called to do. And if it wasn't for God's calling, I wouldn't. I want to desire to be obedient to God's call. And I want other people to see that desire in me as well. So that sometimes just looks like pausing and praying and reflecting and in in keeping, you know, Stacy and I always say this, and we always never do it, but keeping a journal, a gratitude journal, 
of of like successes we've had as a pastor and a mm. wife and and lives that we've seen changed people that have come up to us and spoken kind things to us uh, good memories we've shared yeah. weddings we've performed and just things like that and it's like we just never had done that but it's like man if we in times of deep discouragement could go back and read through these journals that would be amazing so if you're new to this if you're just you know whenever I, even though i haven't done it i haven't put my money where my mouth is that would be a really good yeah thing to do. no i i keep a folder in my desk of all the nice cards people have sent me over the years yeah. and sometimes i'll just pull it out and start reading and it's super encouraging i also keep a folder of yeah. all the crazy letters people have sent me over the years and sometimes <laughs> if i want a good laugh i pull it out and start reading uh, <laughs> But uh, that's true. You could come see my crazy letter uh, if you come visit me at church. I'll show mm. you. Um, but no, mm. I, man, I do think sometimes just reminding yourself like why you do what you do is such mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. Like I got to officiate a wedding, uh, not this past weekend, but weekend before that. And it was a couple that mm -hmm. came to our church. And man, they just had a lot of brokenness that they were walking in. And um, man, our church just like rallied around this couple for the past year and a half just loving them, mm. discipling them, mentoring them, pouring into them, inviting them into people's homes. I got to do their premarital counseling. like, um, And then we got to be at their wedding. And then it was like all these people from our congregation that played some sort of a role in getting them to the point they, they were. And it was such a rich, beautiful mm. expression of the body of Christ, you know. And, and it didn't yeah. feel like work. I mean, I was officiating wedding, but it didn't feel like work. It felt like a a joy, a blessing, an honor, you know? And that's, that's why we do what we do, to see people encounter Jesus and have their lives changed. And so I think we got to remember that because the work gets really wearisome sometimes. Um, hmm. So yeah, I'd say appropriate spiritual disciplines of rest and Sabbath, like you were talking about, taking time off, taking a, a day off, taking weekends off. I also say delegate and hmm. mobilize other people within your church, your staff, your elders, Deacons, volunteer members, uh, just you don't have to do it all yourself. And mm. if you're not a pastor, but you're part of a church, uh, two things. Number one, don't expect your pastor to be somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't go telling your pastor, hey, there's this church I'm listening to, you know, and the pastor said this and that. I just, you know, wow, that's the kind of church I'm looking for. Like, don't do that to the guy. Don't do that, right? Um, and then encourage him. Just like you said, mm. be someone who is life-giving and who's positive and don't just fill his ears with criticism and negativity. Like you can say something nice every once in a while. It's not going to kill you to do that, you know? Because the truth is, um, there is a massive succession crisis in the U.S. when it comes to pastors. So the one you got, if they're gone... Chances are, statistically, there's probably not that many who are willing to step in after that person goes. So be nice to mm -hmm. the one you got, because mm -hmm. there's probably not going to be that many willing to step in after that. Just statistically, that's what the data shows. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. Anything else to say to that? Very, very true. Mm. You know, when you were talking about performing the wedding and it not feeling like work, I was just... Thought about how mailage is what brings us together. <laughs> mailage, mailage, mailage. Brings us that <laughs> that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. <laughs> oh gosh! Say man and wife. Say man and wife. Hey, man and wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so twizzle your love. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the prince's bride. If nobody's hey. paying attention at this point, yeah. Mm. You don't need to tell anybody who it, what a movie it is because if they don't know what movie it is, then they just need to stop. <laughs> Whoa! Shots just fired. Go. They just need to. Yeah, they don't deserve My to listen. To I'm just kidding. Hey, so the next episode we have to do a little accounting. Why's that? You and I, because we made a prediction twelve months ago. We did. We did. Do you remember what the prediction uh, was? I have no idea. I can't remember. Oh man. Okay, so it goes back to our our uh, cryptocurrency episode. Oh my gosh, how do you mm. remember this stuff? It's been twelve. It's been twelve okay. months, and we both made a prediction of what Bitcoin would be twelve months okay. from now. And we are here. To next episode, okay. 
will be just over the 12 month line. <laughs> and so we got to do a little bit okay. of counting here. All right. So that's All next right. time. That's not today. <clears throat> I was right. Oh, <laughs> okay. I guess that wasn't. Yeah. Actually, it's it's like it's it's crazy because I'm looking at it today. I'm like, wow, it's actually surpassed my expectation. Wow. So, okay. Anyways, we'll look at some yeah. of that. Yeah. The next episode. Data, so that's cool. We should make more prediction episodes. So. That'd be yeah. fun. We'll predict the next presidential yeah. election this time next year. Hey oh. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be oh, Oprah. Oh gosh. The next It'll pandemic. Be Oprah. <laughs> Oprah and yeah. the Rock. I sure hope not. Mm. If you are interested in any of the things that we just talked about and you want to know more, or if you got other follow-up questions, send us an email, beardsaboutthepodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a YouTube comment or reach out to us via the Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.